Welcome beautiful souls to season three of the Spiritual Psychologist podcast. We are diving in deep this season in thinking about our relationships with food and body. And this is something that I support clients with regularly, but also something that I've had a massive healing journey with myself. So I have brought in different coaches, different perspectives of how you can heal that relationship with food and body. I really hope you enjoy this season and find it of value. And if you do, please do take the time to share it with others who would also find it helpful and healing for them. And before we get going, I would like to just tell you a little bit about an exciting announcement that I have for 2022, which is my Heal and Restore Retreat in Ubud in Indonesia, which is going to be running from the 30th of July to the 5th of August. So if you'd like details, go and check out my website, www.thespiritualpsychologist.co.uk. So welcome back everyone to the third season of the Spiritual Psychologist podcast where we're talking all about healing our relationship with food and body and I'm really honoured to have Breed here who is a food and body coach. Hi Breed. Hi everyone, thank you for having me. You're so welcome, thank you for being here. Um, I've been following you on Instagram for quite a while now and I love your content and it's so it's so fun Um, but also it really kind of um, tackles a lot of important issues when it comes to um, binge and that binge and restrict cycle that we that a lot of women and men um, Mm -hmm. can enter and I know that you work with clients to support them to get out of that cycle. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about what you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I am a food and body coach and I specifically do help women with stopping that binge restrict cycle that, as you said, like so many of us get stuck in. And so I've been doing this for just about a year and a half now and it's been amazing to be able to turn my story like my struggle into something that can actually help people now yes I never would have imagined being in this position if you told me like I don't know about five years ago that I'd be helping other women out of this yeah I would never have believed you it was it was a 10-year struggle in Mm. that whole binge diet cycle Mm. which just 10 years too long it it took over my entire university experience, mm. my last years of high school and most of my mid-20s, pretty yes. much, which are just all super important years of your life yeah. that were completely swallowed up by me being obsessed about food and my weight and my body and just this monster in my life that was binge eating. Mm. And where did it start? Like, now that you're at where you're at um, and you support other people with, with other women with their journeys, like when you sort of track back your journey, was there a point where you felt that that started? Like, did you have a, did you have a positive relationship with yourself as a child? Um, when did it 
when did you when do you think it kind of started yeah so it's actually interesting because when I think back to when things took off uh when my binging started you're so in it that you can't see why it started and if you could only have seen why it started you could retrace those steps and get yourself out of it and not be stuck in it for 10 years Mm -hmm. so I until the age of 16 had a really great relationship with my food with food and my body I never thought of the word diet or calories like so intuitive all Mm -hmm. of it Mm -hmm. and then so at 16 my family and I we were living in Hong Kong for uh six years I grew up literally all over the place Mm -hmm. and uh, I loved it there I had a great social life and everything and then at 16 my parents were like okay we're moving you to Moscow in Russia and I was like oh wow yeah it was the shift yeah everything was the complete opposite and that's really where things started to snowball for Mm. the worse um yeah it happened very slowly so those first two years those two years that I had in Moscow where I finished high school, I really struggled to get my footing in in the social life. I had a really small social circle. I stopped all of the fun sports I was doing in Hong Kong because the weather in Moscow just wouldn't allow mm. for it. Um, and just everything in my life turned upside down. And suddenly I found myself eating two plates of dinner instead of one and then Mm -hmm. having like pizza for lunch at the cafeteria every day so slowly things um, started to get worse I was emotionally eating at that time Mm. and then by the time I was graduating high school at 18 I suddenly realized that I had gained like eight kilograms Mm -hmm. and I had never had an issue with my weight growing up it was always just at like a really happy place that felt good for me I never thought about it and suddenly I'm like, oh my God, my jeans don't fit. And this 18 yeah. year old girl is starting to panic and she has her first boyfriend and you're concerned about what he's thinking. Yeah. So that summer before university, I started to try to lose weight. I just wanted to lose those eight kilos. Mm-hmm. And I never, as I said, thought of diet diets or calories before. So this is my first time trying to lose weight. And no one has ever taught you how to lose weight in a healthy, slow, gentle way that doesn't get you in this mess. So, of course, you're like, let me just do this quickly, get it done with, hop on some restrictive diet. And that's really where I see that things started for me. Mm. So over that summer before university, I don't think I lost any weight. Like I lost it, but then gained in, kept Mm. losing and gaining it. So then my first year of university is where the binging started because... I had, I was alone in my dorm room. So I finally had the ability to eat whatever I wanted. Whereas when I was living at home, I still had that sort of like perceived judgment of, oh my God, what will they think? So now I could just order two large Domino's pizzas and I would just sneak them up to my dorm room and go through them in one night. Mm -hmm. And that was really, as I can now see, a result of the physical and mental restriction from me trying to lose weight mm. and yeah and from there did you feel that it was a habit and a cycle that you got into or were you feeling at that point as well that you were actually struggling in terms of how you were coping at I that would... point in time in that transition to university yeah so I think I think it was a few things together it was 
the diet taking over my life, the diet mindset, so physical mm. and mental restriction. But I think there was a huge emotional side of it at play as well um, because I was suddenly alone at university and again I was lonely as I was in Moscow as well it was just like a fresh start of loneliness again and the patterns repeated actually years beyond this as well of struggling to find deep social connections which Mm. I had never had before the age of 16 so it was like this very big shift in my life Mm -hmm. and on top of that at that exact time as well my parents got a divorce um yeah it was it was tough oh gosh yeah I mean there's a lot of change that you're talking about in a short space of time like big changes yeah um and when you kind of think like you know uh when you think about sort of our basic needs like that safety safety is such a big mm-hmm. one isn't it and it sounds like that had sort of been that had disappeared um Absolutely. or it'd been pulled away from under you not intentionally but through going through through life changes you know um and so then so then did did you find that the the cycle kind of became more and more ingrained and more intense Absolutely. Yeah. And just like on that note of safety, again, at that time, I didn't know that because I didn't even understand that that was a really basic need. But now when I look back, everything was just feeling so unsafe to me. And the binges were this moment, these few moments of escape, basically, from all of those feelings. Mm. Um, But yeah, things definitely got worse, more deeply ingrained. This whole pattern pretty much stuck with me from that first year of university all the way until about 23, 24. And then things started to get a bit better, but it, it definitely got much worse from that point to the, to the point of one kilo kind of jars of Nutella daily on top of trying to eat normal food in the day as well. Yeah. It took over everything in mm. my life. Mm-hmm. And we, you can just get, I, and I can completely relate to this. It, it can become so obsessive, can't it? Where it's literally all you think about. Yeah, it um, was everything I thought about from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. I felt tortured by the fact that I was almost like, I would say to my mom, oh my God, I almost wish I was an alcoholic or something where I can go cold turkey on alcohol but Mm. food is my food was this enemy and this threat to me at that time and I couldn't not have it so it felt like this impossible battle that I was up against um but yeah it took over my mind the landscape in my mind for years and it made it impossible to focus on bigger better things in my life like Mm -hmm. I I couldn't focus on a career, what I wanted to do, again, like social settings as well were yes. were ruined because I was obsessed around mm. my weight and not wanting to feel out of control with like restaurant food or alcohol when you're going yes. out for drinks because yeah. that was, again, just another threat to me. Mm. Did you tell people about it? Did you communicate it with anybody or was it, did you just feel so shameful about it? Was it, was it, very secretive behavior or was it something that you started communicating 
um, with others? It was very secretive. Mm. I didn't know that binge eating was a thing at Mm. all. So I thought I was just so disgusting and messed up. I didn't tell anyone except further down the line, I started kind of telling my parents, Mm -hmm. not really saying like a binge or even telling them the amount I was eating, but just more talking about how I was just messing up my diet in the evenings or eating a bit too much of this or that. So they were trying to help me out, but they never experienced it. They really didn't get it. Yeah. So yeah, for the most part, a secret. It would just be really helpful as well to, to clarify you know, there's a lot of different kind of eating disorders or disordered eating or however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. And ha- like, this is different to bulimia, mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. it? And yeah. I guess it would just be helpful to clarify the difference. Mm-hmm. So um, binge eating disorder is where you're having these frequent, very regular episodes of binging. Mm -hmm. And that binging itself is excessive amount of calories beyond which you'd ever normally think or want to eat. And as said, it's usually done in isolation because of the shame around it. Mm -hmm. It's done really quickly. Usually um, just get in all that food really quickly and you feel out of control in the moment. And even Mm -hmm. in the run up to it, that urge to binge feels unstoppable. Like nothing can stop it. Mm-hmm. And after the episode, you feel emotionally distressed, just so much regret and disgust around mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And the key difference with between that and bulimia is bulimia also is coupled with purging. So typically yes. that means making yourself throw up after mm-hmm. the food, the binging. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can, in some, uh, like some people would also say that the purging could be exercise as well. So exercise bulimia is a thing as yes, well. Okay. And laxatives as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is where like, maybe it's it's um, not well supported or it's a misunderstood, right? That it could just be, that there can be judgments around it or people don't pick up the, like how consuming it is how mentally consuming it is because actually the thought process and the feelings and emotions are very similar, I think, but you might, you know, communicate this if if you think I'm wrong. Um, But it's, it's very similar, isn't it? Between the between different disordered eating types. So when you look at anorexia or bulimia or binge eating, the obsession is still there it just comes out in different it just manifests itself in different ways right yeah I totally agree the more that I'm doing this work and working with women who have had a past in anorexia and bulimia and now they're binge eating yeah and getting to know them in like a one-to-one setting makes me realize even more how yeah they're just so similar the also the root of where all of them start Mm. most often is rooted in body image and that desire that initial desire to lose some weight and start dieting and control the shape of your body that's Mm. where it so often starts and does it start from your experience of working with people does it start at a period of change where something is happening where there's a significant change or um 
or something like that? Or is it something that creeps up? What, so what? I've seen, I have seen a pattern where oftentimes it starts in university. So yes, big mm. change there going on. Um, and also during puberty as well is what mm-hmm. I see a lot of too, when just women in general start to notice or become more aware of their body and the shape of it and perhaps become more insecure or critical of it. Mm-hmm. That's when I see it start most often. It's kind of like between the ages of like 15 and 20. Yes. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting because I've had my own experiences with food and body, mm-hmm. I suppose, dis- disordered perception and mm-hmm. an unhealthy relationship. And um, there were sort of different trigger points, but one in particular that that started off this definitely like a high level of control was when I was getting married. Mm, right. um, and so that was, I think I was 30, 29, 30 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'd never sort of thought about losing weight. You know, I think my weight had mm, fluctuated, right. but I'd never focused on weight loss. And it was kind of like, okay, what do you do when you get married? You want to look your best. Yeah. You want to fit into an amazing dress. So lose some weight. And from that point, it became um, an obsession then. So it started off with, and you can see here where like different types of, I suppose, restriction come in, whatever it looks like. So it started off with Weight Watchers. Then mm-hmm. then um, after I got married, I got pregnant And then as soon as I had the baby, I went back on Weight Watchers, then finding the gym and then using a personal trainer who put me on, you know, a restrictive Mm -hmm. diet and then macro counting. And, you know, and it it doesn't matter what it is. It's um, it all fuels the same obsession, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. How do you support somebody to get from that place of of binging of restriction getting in their li- in in the way of their life so much that it's so obsessive to a place where you feel relaxed and you don't you feel that you can actually enjoy food and mm. um not think about it you know yeah yeah that's the dream that's the dream <laughs> um so what i do typically for example in like a one to one setting it is a lengthy process so I Mm -hmm. usually work with women for about 16 weeks and I don't think it ever it stops at 16 weeks that's usually when we stop working together because I've given them all the tools but they still work on it going beyond that Mm -hmm. and really what we get to at the bottom of it is identify where the restriction is whether it's the physical the mental or the emotional because that also plays a big part for a lot of people And we start basically addressing that and what that can look like is food rules. So we kind of list out what are all those rules, what are all the things that are off limits and like week by week, we just start breaking them Mm -hmm. at the point where you still feel a bit of safety. Like it's going to feel unsafe to start going against all these rules that have made you feel so safe and in control. So we do it bit by bit. Definitely don't jump straight in, like rip everything away. Mm. So we work on that. But then we also go a bit deeper as well. I think a lot 
of it is rooted in the beliefs and the thoughts in your mind. Yes, definitely. And I think that speaks to not just where are you restricting, but why are you restricting? Mm. We can we can take away like all the restriction, but if ultimately at the bottom of it you still think you need to restrict for some reason, it will probably creep back in. Yeah. So we really need to deal with that. And that's usually a lot of belief work. Mm. Usually I see most women and myself included, grow up with some sort of belief of what our body needs or should look like to be loved and safe and accepted by society and all mm-hmm. those things that we all crave and want, mm-hmm. rightfully so. Um, so we do work to assess what is that belief? Is it really helping you or empowering you right now? How is it showing up for you in your daily life? What kind of thoughts are rooted in that belief and then we that definitely takes time this belief work but we start to debunk that belief find counter evidence for it to be not 100% true and also design what do you want to believe about your body and who you are and how you want to show up Mm -hmm. and then we do a lot of work to create that and put more focus on that as well yes and is there a lot of work around the idea of good and bad foods because I know that this is something that that definitely comes up for anybody with you know who's struggling with this that you know you start developing this list of um what is good what what I, mm-hmm. what can i eat and what what is bad and you know therefore if i eat it i'm a bad person mm-hmm. um and and the list can become just huge you know yes, over the years <laughs> yeah um, for sure we, to we the definitely point, do that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. because um what I, what I usually find is you've got this list and that critical or kind of controlling voice is the loudest in your mind. Mm. So it's constantly labeling these foods as good and good or bad. And I think something important in, in that process of releasing those thoughts is to realize that you're not messed up and you're not this like super mean or critical person to yourself. It's all just a protective mechanism it's all linking back to that belief of you need to look like this or else, blah, blah, blah. Yes, yeah. So it does link to the beliefs work, but also, yeah, it's just we build a lot of awareness. So we do mm-hmm. do quite a lot of like meditation and mindfulness work just to build the ability to catch yourself in real time, labeling foods like that, mm. and then start to decide, okay, is this helpful? Is this aligned with who I really am, whose voice is this? It's most likely that that voice was not yours. Like the 10-year-old or the five-year-old you wasn't labeling brownies as bad. It It was inherited or handed down to you from diet culture or wherever. It's realizing that's not my voice. What's actually true for me, which Mm. is where intuition work steps in. So we also do quite a lot of that. And just coming back to who you really are, what your body really wants, mm. what you actually like to eat. When somebody is so sort of out of that loop and that, you know, you're so obsessed about when your next meal is, for example, mm-hmm. rather than like, am I actually hungry or what is it that I really want to eat? Like, what what would you say the first step is to getting to that place of following a much more intuitive way of eating. Mm -hmm. So something we actually do early on uh, in my programs is just learning to hear and to know what that 
intuitive voice is mm. underneath the chatter and the criticism or the controlling um, ways of the mind or the kind of like fear-based part of you that leads you a lot of the time. So we do a really simple exercise at the start and it's a few minutes just noticing from an observational point um, what's going on in your mind. So just noticing what what's that voice like? What are the thoughts usually swimming around that that drive most of your actions. Mm-hmm. And then we start to try to listen to what's actually true for you. What's your intuition saying? Mm-hmm. And that can begin with something super simple, like asking yourself, is my name Breed? Yes. Am I 28? Yes. Just like very simple yes and no questions or questions that you know the answer to mm-hmm. really easily. Mm-hmm. And just feel how immediate and clear it is. Feel what that feels like in your body. Mm. Usually the yes is, it's just very clear. And then the yes. no, is, that can sometimes be a like a clenching or a contraction mm. somewhere in your body. So I, I find like a really useful one for the no is ask yourself, do I like, and then like insert your least favorite food. So for me, it's like, do I like coriander? No, I can feel it like instantly. It's so clear. And then we work our way up to more unclear questions. Mm. So you start to find, um, you start to notice when the mind steps in with the like, the doubt or the maybes or the what ifs. Um, So starting to just become attuned to what the intuition sounds like Mm. and then we start to practice it in real life like when you're when you're applying one of your typical rules like oh I can't snack after 7 p.m in that moment okay hang on a second let me do a few breaths and let me tune into what my intuition says yes yeah and this is something that like is so missing isn't it in I don't know, just the education system and, you know, everything, isn't it? It's so missing um, that, you know, everything is, we're kind of raised in such a set routine Mm -hmm. as well of like, you have breakfast when you get up, you then have your, have a snack and then you have lunch. And then, you know, from a young age, you're raised, aren't you, to eat in that, typically Mm -hmm. in, in that sort of way, aren't you? And, so true. Yeah, and you don't, you aren't, you know, you're not taught, we're not taught as children to follow intuition, even though it's the most natural thing that you do as a child. I think, this is not just my theory, but I think it's because it's just seen as such a feminine, soft, unclear kind of thing, even though it's very clear. Yes. And yeah. we're living in such a masculine world. Which Absolutely. Is like, masculine energy has its place and it's amazing, but it's so there's like the imbalance right now mm. it's a wounded like, it's a wounded yeah. masculine Defi- energy yeah definitely it? definitely mm. so I feel like it's on us to to start introducing back in the power of the feminine energy as well yes yeah definitely absolutely do you feel for yourself that you're it's something that somebody can completely sort of recover from I mean, I think healing is just always an ongoing process, isn't it? And I guess for me, like it's constantly learning what is aligned and what isn't Mm, Um, and learning not to punish yourself and to, you know, to not judge yourself when, I don't know, you don't eat something that is Mm -hmm. that is aligned and it doesn't feel too good for you, you know? Yeah, Um, definitely. No, I think it's 
I think it's 100% possible to recover from binging and like never binge again in your life or have the urge to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But what's really underneath it, as we've talked about, is like your beliefs and your self-talk and the way you treat yourself and kindness and intuition, all of that, which, as you said, I think is an ongoing journey yes. as well. Yeah. Like I'm constantly on that path too. And it's actually kind of cool in doing the work that I'm doing keeps me so accountable as well. Mm-hmm. Like I'm Definitely. always, I have to practice what I preach as well. So it's, it's actually pretty cool. I find yes. myself often, you know, you eat something and you could um, give yourself that sense of guilt and be hard on yourself. And in those moments, I, I'm like way more aware now. And I'm like, you know what, actually, let's move on from this. And it's just so cool to see. Yeah, definitely. I def- I definitely find this with my clients as well. As I I work, I have I do work with clients who struggle with the body and food as well. And mm-hmm. um, it's such a good mirror for yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Um, to just kind of bring you back to, you know, pr- yeah, practicing what you preach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, re re evaluating and constantly sort of reassessing. Um, in a in the most loving way, mm-hmm. you know where you're at with you, with you, with yourself um, as well. Thank you so much, Breed. It's like so so valuable talking to you, and I just know how amazing your um, work and how important your work is. You know, it's still such a misunderstood disorder. I don't know if that's the right word, but mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. a coping strategy, right? It's a really misunderstood coping strategy still I think and there's a lot of misconceptions but also judgments um, and judgments around greed and all of those things that make it such a secretive thing to do right that brings all of that shame up so I you know it's it's so valuable and important what it is that you're doing and thank you so much for coming on to my podcast I appreciate and value you so much thank you it was such a joy such a interesting conversation yes definitely and is there anywhere that anybody could contact you if you've got a website or something um, that you can share with people definitely so website is freewithbreed.com and instagram is the same that's where I hang out the most so at freewithbreed Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. If you found this of value, please do take the time to review it and share this episode on your social media so that we can reach those who also want to heal their relationships with food and body.